introductions and first impressions are important. They're not everything. You can redeem yourself if you've had a bad introduction or a poor first impression, but they are important, aren't they? I can tell you the first time I met Pastor Anwar in person, we were sitting at the Starbucks in City Mall. The first time I met Serge and Anna was at a mutual friend's house in Houston, Texas, over a meal. The first time I met my wife, Marcy, was in our church in San Diego. She was wearing a yellow dress. Thank you for all those. <laughs> I remember the first time I held cute little baby Grace. And I don't think her parents are here. Shia and Emma's daughter. She passed gas in my arms as I held her. It's not her fault. Uh, she's a baby, but I, but I will always remember. And I will try my best not to tell her about it too often as she grows up. I also remember some of the first times I introduced myself to others. There was the infamous time that I introduced myself as Noah's mother to one of Noah's friend's moms. That was awkward. I wish I could say that was the only bad first introduction I've had, but it's not. Now, as I think about our church, City Bible Church, we're not a new church. By God's grace, we have been around for the past five and a half years, but we are new to many of you. For some, today is your first day. And so because so many have been coming in recent months and now we're fully functioning in this new church building, I thought that introductions are in order. When Marcy and I moved to Lebanon to, to plant this church, people asked us lots of questions about lots of things. One of the questions that people want to know was, why are you starting a church? Aren't there enough churches in Lebanon? Actually, we still get that question every once in a while. It's a fair question, right? There are other churches in the country and in the city, so why another one? Let me give you a one-sentence answer of why we planted this church, and just generally speaking, why church planting is important. And here's the one-sentence answer. God's regular means of making himself known is through the local church. That's what we see in the scripture. That's what we see throughout Christian history. Now, the longer answer will take all month. I'll try to do it in four sermons. Now, my hope is that through this series, you'll get to know a bit more about us as a church and that, that you would consider joining this family of God's people. I hope that this series will be uh, an encouragement to and even serve as a charge to you to remember what the Christian life is and what the Christian community can be. But even more than that, my hope for you today and for this month is that you will see the Jesus that we love and worship. That through the vision of our church, you will catch a vision of Jesus and that your life will be transformed. That you would find comfort and rest, strength and encouragement, that you would find your life and your identity and your peace in Jesus. And so with that brief introduction, let me ask you to pray with me as we prepare to go to God's word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who has revealed himself to us. And we recognize anew and afresh right now 
that unless you sought after us, we would never seek after you. And so, Father, by your goodness and your grace, would you make yourself known to us? We think of Jesus' words as he taught that we would have ears to hear. Father, that's our prayer this morning. Would you give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as a, as a simple way to express what we are about as a church, early on, I came up with four statements when our church started. Those four statements serve as the vision for our church and the plan for this month, as you heard last week, uh, and if you haven't heard, you're hearing now, and I hope you invite friends. The plan for this month is to preach a sermon on each one of those, starting with the first one today. <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't know how to clear my throat with this thing right on my mouth, so hopefully that'll be the only one I have to do all morning. Uh, but, uh, so, so uh, four sermons over the four, uh, four coming weeks, starting with the first one today. But let me just right up front tell you what makes us special as a church. Nothing. If you've been to different churches over your lifetime, you'll notice that there are differences in some ways, and I'm sure you'll find some differences here. But those differences aren't what we stand on. It's not what makes us as a church that we are different from other churches. The most important thing about us as a church is what we share with every other gospel-preaching church in the world. And in that way, we work hard to be unoriginal. We work hard to be faithful to God's word, to scripture. And in line with being faithful to scripture, our first statement and our first mark as a church is to glorify God. I think you have that all four up there. We're looking together today at glorifying God. Both as individuals and as a community, our great purpose in life is to bring God glory. That's the purpose of all of creation. John Piper says it this way. The supreme goal of God in history, from beginning to end, is the manifestation of his great glory. And so we're going to break this down this morning. It's the purpose of the sermon. But very simply, there is a message in and of itself that our first statement is about God and not us. Right? This world, this life, this church, all of creation is for God and about God. Christianity, with the endless and gracious benefits to the believer, it's not first about the believer, but about God. And so we, as City Bible Church, aim to glorify God. But what, what does that mean? We can talk forever about glory and how creation is a testament of God's glory. We can consider the history of glory and the expressions of God's glory in the past but for our time today, I want us to focus on how the church, God's prized possession, is a display of God's glory. Think about that with me for a minute. God, before the foundations of the world, established that the church would be the primary way that he displays his glory. As Paul writes in Ephesians 3, God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. It's, it's incredible if we really 
think about it and take time to consider it. Out of all of God's creation, out of all the ways that he can display his wisdom and his glory and his power and his grace, he decided to do it through the church. Now, I don't know how often you pause and look up at the stars or maybe browse through images of galaxies and planets and all of those things. Maybe you saw, I should have looked it up, I think it's called the super blue moon. Is that what it was? I missed it. I always find out the day after, which is frustrating for me because I enjoy those things. Maybe it's a beautiful sunset that you've seen. Those, those experiences take your breath away, don't they? But that's not God's primary way of revealing his glory. It's you. It's, it's me. It's, it's us together in Christ. But what does that mean exactly? What is a church that glorifies God? And so that will be the question that we're going to try to answer today as we cast vision for who we are as a church and what we're about. And in order for us to figure out what is a church that glorifies God, we'll have to ask two other questions. And those two questions will kind of serve as our two halves of the sermon this morning. What is glory and who is God? Let's think about glory together. Now, if, if you've been around Christianity for any amount of time, you, you would have heard the word glory. It's a common word but it's hard to define. It's not just hard to define. It's actually impossible to fully understand it because it's not tangible. It's, it's abstract. Think with me about knefe. Uh, if this is your first Sunday here with us, uh, be prepared for lots of food references uh, as a way that you will prepare for the fellowship time after the service where you get together and have a meal, right? What is knefe? Knefe is a warm and sweet pastry dessert. The base is a w melted white cheese, but not just any cheese. The cheese is soaked for many hours so that it's, the salt is removed from it. It's topped with a fine or shredded dough, colored with orange, and then baked. Once everything is cooked just right, you drench it with a simple sugar syrup that, if you're doing it right, would have just a touch of orange blossom, right? Sprinkle it with a bit of crushed pistachio, and voila! Sahtain, enjoy, right? Now, if, if you've never had knafe or if you've never heard of knafe, first of all, please, uh, it's important that you see me after the service. Uh, we'll come up with a plan for you. But if you never have heard of knafe, you now have a pretty good idea of what it is. Right? I was able to describe it in, in a way. I was able to define it in some way that you have a grasp of what I'm speaking about. It's a dessert. Should I go over the description again? No, we won't do that. Glory isn't as straightforward. Here's how we can define glory. Glory has to do with weightiness, some, something heavy. It, it, it depicts being filled, heavy with honor. In the New Testament, we see it described as light and brightness. Glory has to do with a demonstration of power or greatness. Listen as I read from Leviticus chapter 10. We'll be going through a few different passages this morning. I believe they should all be on the screen for you. Leviticus 10 verse 3. Is this one on there? Perfect. Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has spoken. I will demonstrate my holiness to those who are near me, and I will reveal my glory before all the people. And Aaron remained silent. And so we see here that holiness and glory are connected. Right, and that the glory is revealed and seen by people. Isaiah chapter 6 is also a helpful text for us to go to. 
Again, you can follow on the screen or that's in your bulletin. Let's look at the first three verses. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to the, another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. This is such a beautiful and such an important passage and chapter in the book of Isaiah. And one day, I, I, I trust that we will study through it as a church. But for our purposes today, I just want us to consider what we see about glory. The prophet Isaiah had a vision of the Lord, and we get a glimpse of God's majesty, don't we? He's sitting on a throne. The hem of his robe, so just the, the border of his robe, fills the entire temple. Angelic beings are worshiping God, and they're declaring truths about him. Right, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. And so glory, as we've seen in these two passages, Leviticus and Isaiah, isn't an attribute of God, right? It's not describing one of God's characteristics. Glory is what's seen from his character, right? Glory is a manifestation of God's attributes, what we're able to see. Glory is visible, like a light that surrounds him. We actually have a picture of this from the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Uh, as the apostle John describes what he's being seen, so being shown in heaven, he says that there is no need for the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because God will give the light. Actually, if we think about the sun, it will be helpful for us to think about glory. When we look to the sky and see the sun, when we see the sun rising in the morning and setting every evening, it's not actually the sun that we see. Right? The, the sun is 150 million kilometers away. No one can see that far. And so what we're seeing is the light that's coming from the sun. And so for our purposes, we can say that light is the glory of the sun. We know that our God is glorious, and so as God reveals himself, we see his glory. Again, glory describes this unmatched honor that he has. It's a kind of honor that should be given to God. Look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 to 31. Renoir read that for us this morning, so I just want to zoom in on verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. And so we ask, how can someone do everything for God's glory? Well, I think one way is that we recognize him as glorious in all things. I don't know if you noticed the new plants that we've recently added to the church and around the church property. Again, it's helpful for us to think of God's creation, something that's physical and tangible. I wonder if you saw the one with the multicolored leaves. Yellow, 
and orange and red and green, and there's different shades of each of the colors all in one plant. Now, one response could be like, wow, that's nice, and then just move on with our day. Our thoughts could stop there, or we can take a moment to pause and remember that God created that plant. We can pause to marvel. With all the things that are happening in the world in this time, all the things that are happening in your life, the way that God is working in each of our lives, God is still growing and sustaining plants and flowers in all their beauty. A simple glance can turn into a worshipful moment. Uh, I'll, I'll spare you from another Knafe reference. Uh, but, but think about whatever delicious meal you enjoy. When you're enjoying that meal, you can remember that God made food with flavor. He gave us taste buds so that we can enjoy meals. He, he didn't have to do that. I've seen some of your Instagrams. Don't worry, I'm not calling anyone out about whatever. This is a good response to what I've seen. I know that many of you enjoy sunsets and nature and things of beauty. And so I wonder, do you consider when looking at creation that God holds all things in his hands, that nothing will grow or survive or be sustained apart from him? In difficult times of sickness and death, we can remember that God is a God of life. That Jesus has conquered death and we can glory in a God that never dies. When you can't sleep in the middle of the night but you are exhausted and you know you need sleep, that affects your sleep even more, right? Because you're now overthinking in the middle of the night and it's hot because there's no electricity. You can take a moment to reflect on the fact that God never sleeps. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't need sleep like you and I do. We can marvel at that. Right? We are called to give God glory and to glorify him. And very basically, that can be done by acknowledging his glory. Right? We see it and we rightly attribute it to God. We glorify God when we turn our thoughts and emotions to see him and to praise him. Now, as we acknowledge God's glory and give him glory, it is important for us to, to note that we're not adding to God's glory. Right? God is perfectly glorious in and of himself. Right? We, we recited it in our call to worship this morning, or right after our call to worship. Right? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We see that joy and love are necessary as we aim to give God glory in all things. Right? We can't fully honor and praise God if we don't love him. We can't enjoy him if, if we don't know him. And so let's consider the second part of that question this morning, our second half. Who is God? Again, for us to know who God is, we need to go to the Bible. That's where God has revealed himself to us. And the first thing that we read is that God created the heavens and the earth. Right? Our, our God is, is a creator. He is the creator of everyone and everything. Now, why did he create us? The Bible declares that God is perfect. He has no needs. And, and that makes sense to our minds, right? 
if, if God needed something or if he was able to learn a new skill or grow in a certain area, he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be perfect. He wouldn't be complete because he's still learning. That would take away from the basic definition of, of God. And so we, we, we know that he didn't create us because he needed us. Was he bored? Was he lonely? No. God was perfectly complete in the fellowship and love and joy of the Trinity. There was nothing that he needed. There was nothing that he lacked. And so why create? God created us in all things as an overflow of his love and of his goodness. He created the world so that we could know love and joy and that we would find those things ultimately and perfectly in him. He created all things that he would be glorified as God and so we know God as the creator. Through the scriptures we understand that God is Lord, right? He's sovereign, he's master, not just any master. He's a kind and good master. He's one who cares for his people. God is described as a friend, but not just any friend. One who would lay down his life for you. And we see that he did. God is a savior. Scriptures declare that he saved us from our sin and from the mess and death that we deserved. God is love, and we can know love only because he has shown us what love is. Right? We can go on for eternity considering the beauties of God and the, and the works of God. But again, for our purposes, we've caught a glimpse of our glorious God, haven't we? And because we have caught a glimpse of God's glory, that's why everyone loves and worships God, right? That's why there isn't anyone who would stand up against God or oppose his work. This world is filled with people who acknowledge that God is good and glorious and deserving of all praise, right? No. Sadly, no. Look with me to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Listen here, verse 21. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals and reptiles. The Apostle Paul here, in the opening of his letter to the Romans, tells us plainly that there are evidences for God. Right? His glory can be seen by all people, but people did not glorify God as God. We're told that they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images that looked like themselves. 
why would anyone do that? It's because they love themselves. Let me go from Paul's words to the Romans and say, here you go, speaking to us. We love ourselves, don't we? You see, there's only enough room for one glory in this universe, and we think it belongs to us. We think we are glorious, and more than anything, we want people to see us that way. You see, we have been created to worship, and our sin nature tells us to worship ourselves. And the reason that we can't see God is because of our sin. Sin has separated us from God, and we don't know him as we ought to, and therefore we can't glorify him as we should. Preacher and theologian John Calvin has written this. We can't truly glory in God until we discard our own glory. Let me say that again. We can't truly glory in God until we discard our own glory. And I'll add that there's no reason for us to discard our own glory unless we see something more glorious. Unless our eyes are opened to true glory. The Gospel of John starts this way. This will be on the, board, on the screen for you as well. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And we can fast forward down to verse 14. After this description of this glorious God, we see that the word that has always been, was with God in the beginning, became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We observed his glory. Friends, that's what we need. In order for us to discard our own glory, we need a glimpse of God's glory in Christ. Which, can we agree that it's incredible that seeing and knowing God is even available to us? Friend, please listen. It doesn't matter what your family name is or your family background, what part of the country you live. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past or what religion you were brought up in. It doesn't matter all those secrets that you know. If they were found out, God knows and this gift of grace and salvation is still available for everyone. The gift of seeing Jesus as a son of God is available to everyone. And I, I wonder if you've seen Jesus as glorious. H have your eyes been opened to see that Jesus isn't just a good man? He's not just a great teacher or a prophet in the line of many prophets. No, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus came down to earth not just to teach us how to live, but to give us life. Out of his love for us, he took the punishment of our sin, and Christ died on the cross in our place. 
And not only did he die, the scriptures declare that he was raised from the death. And the raising of him from the death, he destroyed death, our great enemy. Friends, our God is glorious. And the Bible tells us that when we lay down our own efforts and our own good works, when we lay down our own glory and put all of our hope and our trust in Jesus and in his saving work, the Bible declares that we are saved. Let me say, if you've never trusted in Jesus alone as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would do that today and that you would find rest for your soul. So, we still haven't fully answered what is a church that glorifies God. We're putting some of the pieces together. First, it's one that's filled with people who see God as glorious. And it As a result of that, through the Spirit who lives in us, we reflect His glory. Listen with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16 as we come to a close. Christ said this, You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Friends, through the way that we live, people will see Christ in us and will in turn give glory to God. It's not our light. Right? There's nothing that we have to offer or to shine forth. Right? It's Christ in us. And so just as the moon reflects the glory of the sun, the church reflects the glory of the Son of God. A church glorifies God by loving him and by loving what he loves. What does he love? He loves his church. He loves the lost. And he loves his son. And over the next three weeks, we'll develop those as they're connected to our statements. Glorify God in community, for the city, and through the gospel. Let's pray. Father, how marvelous are your ways. How glorious you are. And we recognize now that you deserve more glory out of our lives. And so we confess that we have not seen you as glorious and we have not reflected you as glorious. And yet, God, we are thankful that you still Smile down on us because we are in your Son. And Father, I pray that in in response of our undeservedness, Father, in, in response of our seeing Christ as glorious, would you stir us up as a church to desire to glorify you in our lives and in this church? Father, that you would be known through our lives, 
and through this church. We recognize you and we praise you and we give you all the honor and all the glory to you alone. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.